Blessing and glory and honor, they all belong to you. I love those songs that point our hearts towards where they need to be, and that is on God. You know, praise is about God. Praise is about God. Self-indulgence is about us. When we have songs that just talk about us all the time, you know who we're actually worshiping. It ain't God. And so when we have songs that are pointing towards the character and the greatness of God, it is wonderful because it sets our hearts in the right place. And speaking of characteristics, every place, every group, every country, every Every company, every family has characteristics. It, you, you, you think about it. When you get out of your culture and you go to live in another one, you quickly learn that different places have different characteristics. <clears throat> you know, we realize that as Americans, we spoke with the higher, um, we turned the volume up. <clears throat> A little higher when we talk to one another and you only realize that when you go to a place where they turn the volume down in public and you can hear yourself talk above everyone when you're having a normal conversation and so when we were in places we had to learn to tone it down and after we had been gone for a while we came back here to visit and we're sitting in a restaurant and we all turned around and said to one another why are they screaming at each other but they weren't screaming that was what is characteristic of here You know, we learned another characteristic is that when you see something that you like that you don't normally see, when the store gets it, you run in and buy it up, all of it, because they will buy more, right? Wrong. Characteristics of other cultures is this is for the community, and when it's gone, wow, y'all, y'all, y'all bought it too fast. We're not buying anymore. And we would go, well, don't you want to make more money? Like, if we bought it up, you go buy more, you have more there, you buy it up, you, yeah, it should be the best thing happening. No, the characteristics are different. The thought process is different. Foods, customs, things that you value in your home, things that you train, things that you've been taught by parents, things that you train people in your home at your job. There are characteristics of churches. There are characteristics. There are things that would represent that particular house. As kids, we were funny. We could tell where our parents had been, um, if it was someplace familiar by how they smelled. It was weird. And so they would come home, and we would get close enough, and if they didn't tell us, we would go, you've been to Aunt Mary's house, haven't you? And they would go, how did, well, because that smell is characteristic of and then we realized that our younger siblings started picking it up in some of everything. They said, you've been to such and such because of how you smell. Characteristics are really important because they tell us what is valued. They tell us what is critical. They tell us what we should focus our attention on. And we're getting ready to embark upon characteristics of the kingdom of God. 
See, we all can say characteristics of many things. We can talk about characteristics of the part of the country we're from. We talk about people that are from the north, you, you, you northerners. And we can say, you Southerners. We can talk about the values of the Midwest, and we can even hone it in some more depending on the culture of the Midwest. I want us to begin to look at over these several weeks and weeks of the characteristics of the kingdom of God. What is it that God values? What is it that he focuses on? And when we say kingdom, what do we mean we mean the rule and the reign of God and when he talked about that the kingdom of God is at hand he was talking about that kingdom that has come that is already but not yet because we know there are stages there are times in this kingdom so today we're going to be introduced to that and then we're going to begin to look at Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew. And in it you get you get this many you get this many swatch of what the Christian like of what the the life of the kingdom citizen is to continue to look like in increasing measure because these are ends and we know that we never reach them in their totality on this side of life while we're breathing in this body. We know that we don't get it here in in full but God is always pointing us there and so just when we think we've gotten to that pinnacle and that point God says there's still more and so we want to embark upon that today and we want to look at what God has to say about what he values let's pray and we're going to get further into it father thank you that you have allowed us to sit under your word. And I pray that we would be attentive and alert. Lord, that we would hear what you were saying. We would see where you are leading. And that we would follow obediently in ever-increasing holiness as we commit ourselves to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As Jesus proclaims the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew writes it, he introduces his disciples to the characteristics, characteristics and values of the kingdom. One of the things that we'll know about these characteristics are that they are countercultural in nature. And when he said it, it made a big splash and they were radical and they are still radical today. Many of us see this as this cute, nice little sermon. That is just, hey, it's, it's, it's something great to hear. We've had other religious teachers value this because of the value that they place on what was being said. But many see it as that which was too lofty for anyone to ever attain. And so it wasn't seen with, by many over the years with realistic eyes. No one can do that. But what Jesus was doing was giving them things that he knew that the only way they would be true of you, the only way that they would be true of you is if you were in him. That there was no way that you could pull this off by obeying the law. In essence, what he was saying is the law can't take you where I'm taking you. You can't do it. And you say, well, why are you telling us? Because in me you can. 
when you come to me and I empower you, this is what will happen as a result of you being in my kingdom. And it is a way for you to gauge how you're growing or even if you're in the kingdom. And so what we see with Matthew before we read, and we are going to read the text. I'm going to have you stand and we're going to read together some things that we need to know. Matthew's gospel was widely popular. It was written early. It's believed in those early 60 AD because the temple was still standing in Jerusalem and had not been destroyed. And Matthew's gospel was popular among the Christian community at that time because of its focus on Jesus. And Matthew spends a lot of time on the teachings of Christ. He has a lot of them. As a matter of fact, Matthew is the one that has these huge blocks of, of, of sermons. They're called discourses. And you get five of them in Matthew. Because Matthew spends his time talking about what Jesus taught. His goal was not just to show that Jesus was the Messiah that was predicted in the Old Testament and that he fulfilled it as he lived in the new. He was connecting the two worlds and how the old and the new came together. Matthew himself understood what it meant to be changed because we know that this Matthew, this one was a tax collector. He was one that was way out there as far as sinners were concerned in the eyes of other people. He was hated by his own people because he would be seen as a sellout. Because we know that the way that the tax collecting, the tax collecting system worked is that it was, it, was, it was filled with abuse and corruption. And that it was a great way to make lots of money on the backs of people, most of whom could least afford it. Today, we would see them as those blood-sucking people that take advantage of our communities and they get rich off of the misery of others. We've heard of instances of landlords that buy buildings and they let those buildings go down and down and down. We had a term for them. We call them slumlords. They were not held in high esteem at all. They were seen as people that would as well sell their mother down the river to get a dollar. That was Matthew. And when Matthew came to Christ and was radically changed and began to listen to the teachings that he realized that Jesus was and is the true Messiah, he was, he was, he was elated. And of course, after he, was, after he died and was risen, Matthew was forever changed, but he writes that Jesus is the true Messiah. That's why you get, you get terms and things that are not explained as he, as he talks about Jewish customs and he speaks you know, in, in ways where he doesn't explain it because his audience would have understood what he was talking about, the Jewish people. And so in those five discourses that I talked about, you get the Sermon on the Mount, you get the commissioning of his early disciples right around chapter 10. You get the parables of the kingdom. That's another discourse and sermon that you get. You get the parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like. You get the one on the church and how the church is to gather as a community. This is where we get our church discipline. And this is where we get a scripture that is widely misused and abused that if, that if, that if two or three 
are gathered. He is talking about what happens in church community. You get that teaching there. And then you get, lastly, what is called the Olivet Discourse. Is that sermon on the Mount of Olives, and he is talking about the king will return. You will see some things happen and some things that will worry and concern you. They may even discourage you, he said, but the king is returning. And then at the end of it is the one that we like to go to at Matthew's gospel ends with a commissioning. He says, and we usually start at the end, but you've got to start at the beginning to understand the full force of the end. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He talks about baptizing them, and he talks about teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always. Matthew records all of this because he sees the king in his birth. He, he, he is the one that, that, that gives a, a, this, this, this lineage of him that he shows at his birth is kingly and he is of the line that God said he would be from. And then he goes on from there. So when we get with Matthew, we get someone that is standing and is enthralled with the person of Christ. He talks about, he doesn't talk about this person. He, he spends most of his time focusing in on who Christ was. And so when he gives the Sermon on the Mount, and when he gives these values, here's what he does. He is, he is showing that the Messiah that you wanted him to be is not who he is going to be. He is showing that what you think this Messiah should value, he does not. His values are radical. As a matter of fact, when they heard it, it would have stunned them. When they heard it, it would have shocked them. When they heard it, it would have caused them to stop and wonder, which is why when he finished, you know, when, when, when Jesus would talk, you would hear them say things like, he speaks like one with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks like one who knows what he's talking about, knows what should be, and even though it's different than what we have, something about it is right. And so today we're going to deal with just the first two, but we've got to back up just a moment before we read. In chapter 4, if you would turn with me in chapter... As a matter of fact, let's just stand and read what we have on the inside of your bulletin. Let me read that first. You, would, you, will, you will get the verses that are there, chapters 5, verses 1 through 4. Let's read together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You may be seated. You say, that's it? You're only going to cover two? Well, with the intro, that's all we can get into today is two. Don't worry, we'll cover them all. But the way he starts this off is critical that we hear this. See, back up to chapter 4, 
Because Jesus' ministry begins with the arrest of John the baptizer. Because verse it, it actually says, when Jesus, after he came out from temptation, in verse 12, after he was successful in standing up against the temptation of the enemy, showing us that if our ministries are going to be effective, we have got to learn to tell the enemy no. And we respond by not just saying no, we respond with the word of God and what God says. We say no because this is what God says yes to. I don't say no because that's what my church believes. I don't say no because that's not what my family taught me. I say no because this is what God says. And so it says in verse 12, now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And he fulfilled the prophecy there about they have seen a great light in this area because the light has come. He was it. And then he calls some of his disciples and then go to verse 23. He starts his ministry. And it's critical for us to see how he starts it. He says this, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So when Jesus starts his ministry, his ministry starts with three things, teaching, preaching, which is the proclaiming, and healing. And so he went into the synagogues and systematically taught them how, you know, he was fulfilling the prophecies and that and that you were looking at the fulfillment of what was, that, that he was the focus of everything that the Old Testament was pointing toward. And that it would be from him that the foundation of the New Testament would rest, would be on him. And so he went into the synagogues and he would teach. But then he went out into the public and he would proclaim, whether people wanted to hear it or not, he would proclaim the good news, and the good news was the kingdom of God is here, or the rule of God that he had intended is ready to come on the scene because he was there. The king had come. And so now that the king comes, he is saying, repent and be baptized. And he says, so that you can be a part of this kingdom. And he was calling disciples to himself but notice he did not stop there. And I'm going to say this for a second. When people say, just preach the gospel, you are missing part of even Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus preached the gospel. He did. He is the gospel. He's the good news. And he taught what the scripture says. But look at the third part of what he did. It says, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Now, before people take this and say, we're to do that too, we're to go about healing everyone. No. What he was saying here was he ran around meeting these every sickness and disease. And listen to what he says. It doesn't say that it was just confined to the Jews. Now, his teaching was, because in the synagogue, he taught the Jew, only one that would be there in the synagogues. And his proclaiming was to whomever would hear it. 
but he was primarily a Jewish audience, but his healing, it said he could, every, every disease that came, he was meeting the physical needs of the people at that time. Understand, sin has caused our fallen world to place people in a position where they are experiencing the results of that fallenness, sickness, poverty, murder, and so what Jesus came to do, he says, not only was he teaching and preaching, he was reaching out his hand and he was making it right. He was meeting those physical needs. And so he was saying that his ministry was dealing with the whole person. That's what he was saying. I came to deal with the whole person. Yes, I will preach the gospel. But I will also deal with the fact that you're sick. And don't, let's not spiritualize it. Yeah, their sickness was sin. Yes, it was. But their sickness was spiritual as well. I mean, was physical as well. And he dealt with it. He didn't overlook it. And yes, he made a point with it, tied it to the spiritual. But look at what he did. He saw people. He met them. He met them. And, 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 and the woman who touched them healed. The, the, the one who was by the pool and said, I have no one to help me. And he says, I'm here to help you. And so Jesus... Although he proclaimed the kingdom, he never saw people as projects. He never saw people as notches on his belt. He dealt with whoever came to him, and his purpose was to make them whole. Look at what he values as he starts his ministry. And take heed for us as we continue our ministry. If we have a ministry that all we do is teach and preach and we never reach out our hand to relieve the effects of sin on our world, we have an incomplete ministry. And so as he does this, of course, what happens? You start healing folk like that, the crowds come, even those for the wrong reason. The crowds come. And notice at this point, he doesn't stop them. So the crowds gather, the crowds come, the people begin, and they start bringing everybody. they be like, yo, this guy over here is healing everyone. Yo, bring your cousin, man. You know the one that can't, bring him. The one over there, boy, that we think he's possessed, bring him. <laughs> because demon possession was huge at this time. And sometimes the diseases that they brought, they thought were the result of demon possession. So the epileptic and the paralytic, they thought these were signs that, 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 that you have been overcome by an evil spirit. And so even some of their superstition, you know, yeah, this one over here, he's got a devil. Jesus, help him. But he was healing, it says, everyone that came. And what he was telling them is, I am for everyone. And especially at that time, some of the elite, religious elite, they would only confine their teaching to a certain set of people, and they knew it. And, 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 or they would only confine themselves to this territory. It said Jesus went throughout Galilee. And wherever he went, a crowd formed, and he didn't turn them around, he just turned it out. I was like, man, he just, he just started healing. And, 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 and again, wasn't a, we, didn't, we didn't even hear how he healed. We just know that they were healed. We know how fast. 
We know how he did it. We know what they had him do. All it says is healed. He didn't make a big show. He didn't hold a big service. Everyone come up. Jesus healing today. He met the needs of the people. God is calling us as well to have a ministry where we teach the word of God systematically, where we proclaim the good news to people all around us, and where we heal and meet the needs of people. See, now this is where the connection between God and man, we got to be careful that we don't act like we're God. You and I don't determine who gets healed. He does. But we do reach out with compassion as he did. And so as he taught and as he dealt with everyone, we get into this popularity. He starts coming, it says, and verse 25, verse 24, so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. You see the size of this area that he's pulling people from and, and they're gathering to him. And so you can imagine a large crowd. And the crowd is mixed. There are some that wants to see what he's going to do next. There are some people that are there are sensation seekers. What's this dude going to do next? Because you always got them in the crowd. They're there for a good story, for a good event. Entertain me again, Jesus. What you going to do this time? You going to pull the rabbit out your hat? There were some that were like, there's something about him that he can change my life. The things that he's talking about I've never heard before. Or he's talking about them in a way that none of these guys that are speaking talk about. So they all gather, and in comes chapter 5. And then it says, seeing the crowds. Now, the crowd gathered. Well, of course he saw the crowd. You would have to be blind not to see the crowd. But what are they saying, seeing the crowd? Well, he saw everyone, the reasons they were there. He saw the hurt and the pain. He saw the people traveling from great distances to come and to hear or to see or to be changed. They were coming because they were, as you see here from chapter 4, many of them were desperate. They were hopeless. Some of them were trying to figure out how we going to, you know, I heard he can change me. Let's, let's go and see what he can do. And it says he sees the crowd. And he's not trying to build this ministry of numbers. He is trying to help people to understand now. And, and he tells them in his preaching, you know, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says it in chapter 4 earlier. He says, it's here. Chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, understand this just for a second. When he says his disciples, he's not talking about the 12 because the 12 hadn't been called yet. Some of them had been. What was he talking about his disciples? These were people that had committed themselves to follow Jesus. From those, he called 12 to come in more closely. 
But at this particular point, we don't know the number, but it was an increasing number that because of what they heard and saw about Jesus, they had committed themselves to following him. So they were disciples. They had committed themselves to obeying him, to listening to him. And so when he saw the crowds, he went up, sat down, and here's what he did. He called those who were committed to him. This sermon is given not to the world. This is a teaching moment. He is getting into his teaching ministry, and he is teaching his people, those who have committed themselves to him. But it was in the earshot, it was in the hearing of everyone else. Listen to what this sermon is not. He is not expecting the world to live this out. They can't. This is not a behavior modification survey. I mean, um, 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 sermon. If they, if, they, if they just do right. You guys just live better. You, you sinners, if you just hear this, you can live better. No, he was talking to his folk. And it's okay sometimes for people to hear what is expected of us, even though they may not be from, I mean, be within us. What do I mean? You can sit in on a basketball team's practice, or you can sit in the, fan, I mean, in the stands at a football team's practice, and you can hear the coach instructing them. And, and, but it doesn't apply to you, but you're hearing what is expected of the team, and you stand there and you marvel, or you go, boy, they're crazy. I don't know why he would do that. But the point is, he wasn't talking to the crowds. He was talking to his disciples. Because you realize, when he spoke to the crowds, he always called them to repentance. In the sermon, he never does. So it is presumed here that these are people that have already responded to him and repented because the first thing he says is, blessed are they, blessed are. He's not telling the sinner is blessed because they're not. Even though we put it on our Facebook page, how blessed of the Lord we are. If you are not in Christ, blessed is not something that describes you. And blessed does not mean because I got what I wanted, because that's usually what we mean when we get it. I'm blessed. We can usually write, I got what I want, so I'm going to give credit to God for it. Instead, what he says here, he says they came, he went up, he sat down, and it bugs me. I'm sorry, all the pictures I see, there are a lot of pictures out there of Jesus on the mountain. They have him like this. I was like, did y'all forget the part where it says he sat down? Can y'all give me a picture of him seated, please? He's standing there. I'm serious. Look, go on and Google Sermon on the Mount. Not now. <laughs> and you will see there, you have him standing there. I'm like, y'all didn't even listen to this? He said he sat down, which was a position that a rabbi, that a teacher would take as he is getting ready to impart some information. Because we, we think, how on earth did everyone hear him if he was sitting down talking to his disciples? Well, it wasn't for them, but if they got close enough, they could hear. And I'm sure he spoke loud enough so his disciples could. And then he started. And so today we are looking at the theme, characteristics of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount. The blessedness of the kingdom is today. The blessedness of the kingdom. He starts off and he says, two are going to follow. Blessed. Well, let me read verse two first. I'm sorry. And he opened his mouth 
and taught them saying. I, I almost get that for a second. This is interesting. Why would you say that? Okay, when I'm describing someone at an event and said, you know, he spoke to him. He opened his mouth and said to him, you're like, what? Who, who talks like that? What on earth was he saying? He said that he himself, the one who is the Messiah, was speaking words of instruction coming. It wasn't an agent. It wasn't someone else there. He opened his mouth. And opened his mouth is he was about to, we would say he was about to drop some truth, y'all. He opened his mouth. And when he started talking, people were like, so the deal was, y'all, he, he started to just drop some serious knowledge. And he opens his mouth and he says, first part of the sermon, as he sits, everyone, I mean, as he sits down and talks to his disciples, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hold on a second. You are introducing the kingdom, and the first thing you tell me, a blessed are the poor in spirit? Now, before we think for a moment that Jesus was in here somehow honoring poverty, let's get off that kick, because he was not. Physical poverty. Physical poverty comes, you know, people that are in it, it is out of their control, and if they could, if, if, if they could get out of physical poverty, they would yesterday. Because poverty brings a powerlessness with it. It brings sometimes a hopelessness with it. And so he wasn't talking about blessed are you that are physically poor. So go and sell everything you have because being poor is where I am. He is not saying that. And as you look at how God deals with the marginalized in Scripture, he comes to the aid of the poor. He's not calling all you guys, hey, go be poor. He's not saying that at all. Neither is he saying that is in riches as well. But he says something different. He says blessed. Now, that blessed means, and I always say happy, happy. Hey, I'm blessed, I'm happy. No, it means more than your happiness. This, when it says happy, it means that you are fortunate. You are well off. You have God's, because you have God's approval. So if we want to say blessed, I'm blessed. I have God's approval. God is working on my behalf and, 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 you know, I am well up. I am fortunate. There's also a meaning of to be envied. So if we wanted to say it, the blessed ones are the ones who should be envied because they have God's approval are the poor in spirit. Uh, that was not what was on people's list. I can imagine the faces of people at that time. What is this dude talking about? But then he hits it even harder. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs, for they possess the kingdom. They are the true citizens of the kingdom. Well, hold on a second. Then I need to understand what this poor in spirit means because he first says, here are the true citizens who possess the kingdom. They are in it. It is theirs. They didn't earn it, but they obviously demonstrate that they are in it because of the poverty of spirit that they demonstrate. Here's what it says. Poor in spirit is saying, now remember, the whole term poverty, bankrupt, empty, desperate, needy. He says those who realize that they bring nothing to the table for God, that they come empty-handed, useless, 
unworthy, unable to make any deal when they come to God and they come to him out of desperate need. Now you are entering the kingdom. See, you bring nothing to God. You know, we have these stories. God, if you would, if you, if you heal me, I'll serve you. What you just said is, God, I got a bargaining chip. I know you want me in your kingdom. So if you hear, if you heal me, here I come. God says, you aren't doing me no favors by coming to me. You're lost. You're the one in desperate need. You bring nothing to the table to bargain with. But until we realize that we bring nothing to the table, we cannot understand the nature of the kingdom. For you and I, a kingdom citizen is one who is every day spiritually bankrupt in need, knowing that the only one that can change that is God himself in Christ. So blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom. You don't come with some spiritual elitism. I got this thing. You know what? Here we go. The two people, the Pharisee that stood there, you know, pounding his chest and says, I'm not like him, Lord. I go to church. I read my Bible. I have a devotion. What you are saying is you should like me, God, because I do all these things. And God says, you missed it. You are bankrupt. The one he said he wouldn't even lift his head. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And some of us, we go, yeah, well, I did that. I don't have to do that anymore. No, you realize that if, 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 if God does not supply you with who he is, you're bankrupt tomorrow. You can't stand before him and say, you need me, God. I used to say this. And I'm glad that God helped me out. When, whenever a celebrity or a famous athlete or someone would come to the faith, wow, he can do damage for the kingdom. I said that, no, God, he can't do anything for me unless I change him. She is no asset to me at all unless I come in and change her. Who we are, what we do, what we have has no bearing on coming before God. As a matter of fact, something that we have to understand Please understand is you are doing God no favor by coming to Christ. See, I know God wants me to worship him. No, God knows you need to worship him. You were designed and you were created to be at your best when you are worshiping God, your creator. And anything else, you are eating out of the pig's trough because that's not what God intended for you. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for those are the ones that possess the kingdom. Wow. Boy, so that means for me, when I don't want to lay before the Lord in prayer, I'm too busy, I'm too tired. Really? Obviously, you think you have something that you can go about your day without me. Obviously, you think that you all that, that you don't need to come before me, Curtis. And I've, I've done that. Lord, I'm bankrupt. If I'm bankrupt and I'm needy, and I'm desperate, I'm coming just saying, I need you today, Lord. I need you today, every, every day. But then he goes and he says, the next one is, the only blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn. Let's look at this. It says, 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Hmm. What do you mean by mourn? Blessed are those who have lost a loved one so they can grieve, that somehow there's some spiritual elitism in me grieving the loss of something? No. He's not saying that at all. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn what? Mourn who? What is he talking about as you read that and what he's referring to? <clears throat> Again, to be envied above others, happy to have God's approval, are they who mourn and grieve over their sin. See, you were desperate because you realized how bankrupt you were without the Lord. And now you continue with the mourning and the grieving over the sin that is gripping or that wants to grip you every day. We, although we come to Christ, we still have a sin nature, but it's not just the grieving of our sin. It is the grieving of sin in general. See, I know we like to spiritualize it, but it says now, Blessed are they who, their hearts are heavy when they see the injustices of sin displayed in our world. You can't stand it. You see the sin of people taking advantage of. You see systems that are set to go against certain people. You see us throwing out and keeping out people from our from our, from our societies and our world, you see, when you watch the news and you see children abused and, 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 you see, and you see husbands beating up on wives and you see wives killing and shooting husbands and you see people that are abusing one another, if your heart is not grieved, he says, do you really know me? The sin of this world should grieve you. It should cause you to be heavy. He says, kingdom citizen will mourn his own sin. You don't play with it. You don't pet it. For some of us, we say, I'm struggling with my sin. And really, all we're doing is that we're petting our sin. We're petting it. It's our, it's our pet. Come sit in my lap. And we play with it. And we throw a spiritual tag, I'm struggling. Now, there are some that really are struggling with it. And we understand that. And it's a process that God is changing you. But for some of us, we want our sin and we like it. We like our sin hot. Some of us like our sin cold. Some of us like our sin here. Some of us like our sin there. God says, you don't grieve over it. It doesn't bother you. No, you don't have God's approval. No, you're not blessed. He says, blessed are those who mourn. But here's the hope. It says, for they will be comforted. And that will is at a future time. That future time can be here, and that future time can be in the fulfillment of the kingdom. And so when I see our world hurting, and I respond to the hurt, I don't sit here and say, oh, poor them, and I go about my life. God says, as a believer, you can't do that. As a kingdom citizen, it bothers you too much. You go, something must be done. Jesus taught, preached, and healed. He dealt with the effects of sin on his world. He didn't just teach and preach. And he tells them now, blessed are you that your mourning causes something to happen. But he says, I don't leave you mourning. He says, you will be comforted. And that comfort that word is what is used of the Holy Spirit. You will have someone come alongside you and bring comfort. 
And it is a precursor to the Spirit's work in our lives that He comes and He comforts us as we journey through this life, as we are dealing with the pain of people. Sometimes we want to run and hide. I don't want to deal with the pain of people. I don't want to, I don't want to have to mess with this. Sometimes we do with family members and we go, I don't want to deal with this right now. It hurts too much. God says, go and mourn because I'm going to comfort you. You're mine. That's what we do. God says, don't hide from the pain of this world. Don't hide from it. Meet it. And meet it with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be confident. Let me ask you, are you coming today bankrupt, or are you still making deals with God? Do you think you have something to offer God, or do you think, hey, God, I know you want my allegiance. I know you do, so I'll kind of come when I want. God says, you missed it. Do you see yourself as spiritually bankrupt daily without the Lord? Do you see yourself in desperate need? If we do, we would lay before the Lord. And I know some days it's harder than others. No, we're not going to get this perfect. Yes, it is an an ideal that we never fully reach, but we are always progressing in it. We understand that. So don't beat yourself up on that. But he says that's the ideal. Well, then how about mourning? Do you mourn over your sin or do you make excuses for it? Boy, I know when I make excuses for my sin. God says, how about mourning over it? How about saying, God, I need you to change this in my life. God, I don't like this about me. And I wish that you would change this, Lord. And I'm going to let you work on me bit by bit that this has changed in my life because that's not you. That sin that I indulge in or I let myself fall into, that's not you, Lord. He says, you will be comforted. And we're just getting started. He, you know, this sermon, if it was, com- if this was its, if this sermon that we read was in its entirety, what we read here, it'd only be about a 15-minute sermon. So we know that we're getting ex- um, excerpts from it. You know that Matthew was writing some key things inspired by the Holy Spirit about. So we're not getting everything, but we're getting what we need. And as we go through the continuance of this, you will see the countercultural nature. Then people probably stared at him like, what? And Jesus was saying, this is what I value. I value desperately, um, desperateness of spirit. I value grieving over sin. Not just personally but in your world, which means you need to see it, which means you need to be engaged to see it. We are blessed. We have the approval of God as kingdom citizens. And he says to us, here's how I want you to be. If these two characteristics were in our lives and in our homes, in our communities, these two alone would change what it looks like drastically. It would change our churches. It would change us. It would change our friends and our neighbors. If we would just come to God totally empty in spirit, God, I desperately need you every day, and I grieved over my sin and the sin that's around me. 
Are we going to let God do that in our life? The blessedness of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.